Well, I have the privilege this morning of introducing our speaker, who is a, um, a guest speaker, but not really. And that's because you all know Dr. Dale Johnson and his family, who are uh, members in our church. As James said earlier, Pastor Rick is out of town, so Dr. Johnson's going to, preaching, to be preaching for us this morning. So all we could say about Dr. Johnson's ministry to the church at large, he's the executive director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC, uh, that's headquartered up at Midwestern. We're so thankful for his leadership there and the ministry that that is to our church. Uh, biblical counseling is Dr. Johnson's area of expertise. He's a professor of biblical counseling up at MBTS. Um, and has his PhD in biblical counseling from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. One of the most recent fruits of Dr. Johnson's ministry has been a book that we've recommended that you all read, which is The Church as a Culture of Care. We feel that our church would be uh, supremely blessed if they would be well-versed in what Dr. Johnson presents to us in that book, The Church as a Culture of, of Care. So please make that a priority in your families to uh, pick that up and to read that. Again, there's a lot that we could say about Dr. Johnson's ministry to the church at large, but what I'm most thankful for, and, and that I know many of you are most thankful for, is his ministry to this church, to his home church, Mission Road Bible Church. He and his wife, Summer, uh, are members in our church. They've been here for a little bit over a year, and I've just been so blessed, I know you have as well, by the testimony, the example of them and their immediate involvement on plugging into our church. They're not just regular attenders, but they've built relationships in our church. Uh, many of you know them personally. They've been examples in serving and, and in Dr. Johnson's teaching in our church. I know I've been blessed by uh, their sons being in our student ministry, Easton and Titus and, and Will. And then they have three daughters as well, Ellie and Anna Dale and Caroline. So we're so thankful for their family being in our church. Many of you have already heard Dr. Johnson teach because he's one of our teachers in our Sunday school hour uh, as we've been walking through a, a series on soul care. If this is your first time hearing, hearing him teach, I would just encourage you and beg you to be a part of our Sunday school hour uh, where you can be more blessed by his, uh, by his teaching ministry. Uh, so thankful for you, Dr. Johnson. Thanks for being here this morning and for your family's presence and involvement in our church. Come and, come and preach to us now. Let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Johnson. Very kind, Adam, and it's so good to be here. And um, we are very blessed by the ministry of Mission Road and uh, the focus and the centrality of the Word and our Lord Jesus. And it's such an encouragement to us, to our family, and uh, it's good to good to be here with you. It's always fun to share the Word with the people that you you fellowship with on a consistent basis. Uh, man, I was so encouraged by the music this morning, and uh, what a great song! Come to me, the call of Matthew of Jesus in Matthew eleven. That should really be the, the testimony of every sermon that's preached, is that you feel the weight and the burden of the word on you, and then the call of Christ to come and to come and rest, to be at peace, to walk with him, walk in faithfulness. And, and that's really how you're shepherded here at Mission Road, is the word is preached, it's uncomfortable, because the word reveals things about us that we'd rather not pay attention to, but but a constant call to come to Christ, to come to rest, to find hope and solace in Him. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 22 through 25 this morning. James 1, 22 to 25. Before we get to James 1, I want to give a vivid picture to you from an Old Testament passage because I think it's relevant to to some of the primary points that we're going to talk about this morning in James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1. So I want you to turn your attention as you're turning your pages to James 1. I want you to think of this wonderful story in the Old Testament. Uh, You remember the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a wonderful prophet of God, and he did some miraculous things, some incredible things as as God's man. And this is time in 2 Kings chapter 6, one of the most impressive moments, I think, that we see in Scripture, where the king of Syria is wanting to come against Israel. And the king of Syria begins to to describe and, and, and build strategy about how he's going to destroy the, uh, the Israelites. And somehow, in some way, uh, somebody knows what's going on. And uh, Elisha's telling the king of Israel, don't go this way and don't go that way because the king of Syria will be there. And the king of Syria gets infuriated, like, who is the mole among us, right? Who's telling Israel all the things that we're doing? And they say, well, it's nobody actually who's here. There's a man uh, that knows God. His name's Elisha. King of Syria gets so frustrated, and he, he sends out his, his armies to come against Elisha. And one, one thing that happens in 2 Kings uh, 6, verse 15, is the servant of Elisha stands up, and he walks outside. And Can you imagine what that would be like, that you're seeing that the the king of Assyria sent all of his armies around, and the Bible says that he was fearful and he was trembling because that's what he saw with his natural eyes. And so as you would, as I would, we would run and get Elisha and, oh, Lord, Elisha, what in the world are we going to do now? And Elisha walks out very calmly because Elisha sees very differently than the servant sees. You see, what Elisha sees is Elisha sees the the armies of the Lord of hosts all around. He sees something different than the servant. And the thing that he prays in 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17 is he says, open his eyes. That's really the prayer every single week when your pastors stand up here and preach the word to you. As they see things from the scripture, from God's perspective, maybe even about you in life, and it's a constant call, Lord, open their eyes to see. James 1 really helps us to understand how we see. Yes, we're talking about hearing in this passage, but hearing is always connected to what you see and how you see. Turn to your Bibles to James 1, if you're not there already, 22 and following. Here are our passages this morning. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence this morning, to be able to uh, lift your name high in singing as we worship and we continue that worship, Father, as we, we sit now and give attention to the word. And Father, I pray that as our, our hearts and minds and attention is prepared by the singing and worship and adoration of you, that our hearts would tune themselves to hear what you have to say through your word. God, give us eyes, we pray, to see. May it be so this morning in Christ's name. Amen. As we turn to James 
22, 122, there's obviously a context. It's so hard sometimes to jump in to the middle of a passage and and try to understand, but I want to try and do that this morning. I I think uh, I had no idea, by the way, that that Pastor Rick last week was going to preach or read Psalm 119, but how appropriate it is that we're diving into this passage. And so I want to look at this passage really and put it in context if we can. I want to give a basic outline for you. Is, is This is primarily an exhortation. It's an exhortation of the people of God. This is the people that, that James is speaking to. He's talking to those who are believers, committed, firm believers in the Lord. They've been dispersed, as you read about in James one one. They've been dispersed abroad because of persecution. They're walking under difficulty and trial but yet they still struggle in many ways. And here, as we've progressed, and James calling them to hear the wisdom of God, to pay attention to the wisdom of God, one of the things that he tells them here is an exhortation. And he begins, and then he he pauses in a break in the exhortation to give a warning, and then he revisits the exhortation to remind us what we're supposed to be doing as we hear the word appropriately. So I want to start with the exhortation where James begins in verse 22. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word. Prove yourselves doers of the word. This is a continual action, not a snapshot in life. It's always dangerous to take snapshot of your life and think that the sum of your life is based on one event or one moment or one passion, one desire or one action. Your identity is not bound up in one particular action that you do. Part of what James is saying here is this should be a constant striving of our hearts. To those of you who believe, who follow after the Lord Jesus, this call of the word is that you be doers. Not a one-time doing, but a, a constant pursuing, becoming a doer of the word. Constantly pursuing what God has called us to do. And this is an exhortation. He's saying, don't just hear the word. Don't just have access to the wisdom of God and let it fall upon deaf ears. He's saying, respond to it. That is, in fact, the reason that God reveals himself. God in his kindness has revealed himself to you so that you will not simply hear, but to respond by doing. That as you see God for who he is, it demands a response from you, and that's part of your your doing. So he's telling us, become a doer of the word. And he pauses, he transitions into what I would consider to be a warning as a part of this exhortation for us. What he says here in verse 22 is, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. See, he makes a distinction, and that's a part of what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to, we're going to draw a contrast between uh, the, the two parties that we see in this passage, and that's the doers and the hearers. Here he draws a contrast, giving a description of those who are hearers only. If you're a hearer only of the word, and that could be many of you in this room even now, is that you are a hearer of the word. The Bible says if you are a hearer only and not a doer, not a pursuer to obey the commands of what God has given, then you would qualify as a hearer. And why is it that you don't do? Because in the hearing only, the Bible says that you you deceive yourself. This is an important word. This is not the first time that James has talked about this idea of being deceived. 
He, he builds the case in chapter one where he's talking to those who've been persecuted and spread out because of that persecution. And he introduces, this is an odd way for James to introduce this whole book is he, he starts out talking about trial, consider all joy. When you encounter various trial, well, don't sugarcoat it, James, right? Like just jump right into the meat. And he's dealing with this issue of trial and he's telling you to consider it joy when you walk into difficulty and trial. Now I got to hear this because consider something joy that's going to hurt. I don't think I like that very much, right? But what he says is he encourages us to say that when we walk with joy in and through trial, we trust by faith the promises that God has given and it builds us up. It builds us up to the point to where he, he concludes in verse four that we lack nothing. But the issue that, that comes is sometimes we don't do well in trial. Now, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but when, sometimes when we walk through trial, it's, it's not simple, it's not easy, it's not a fun thing to do. And we find ourselves sort of stumbling like we're walking in the dark and we can't understand what it is. Lord, what do you want me to do or how do you want me to endure something like this? And James follows that up in verse 5 with a, a really strange uh, message, I think, at this point. We're talking about trial. Surely he'll tell us something to do. And the first thing he says in, in James 1.5 is he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, and, and that's really the, the theme of the whole of the book of James is he's going to present the wisdom of God and he's going to talk about the experiences of your life and he's going to compare the wisdom of God. And if you follow the wisdom of God, this is how you respond in your experiences in life. What he's doing here is he's helping us to understand that suffering often reveals what it is that you trust in. And he's saying, listen, when, when you experience that you're not, you're not walking stable, you're not walking firm, you're not trusting in the promises of God, you find yourself, as he'll tell us a little bit later, you're unstable. You feel like a double-minded man in everything and there's no way that it seems like it's working out right. If you find yourself there, then you're the man who lacks wisdom. And what does he tell you to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He points us back into the direction of God. He tells us to, to pay attention to the wisdom of God. But, but that's not what the hearer does in James 1.22. What, what he does is he hears only and then he, he runs out to pay attention to something else. He, he doesn't want to see the wisdom of God truly. Of course, he enjoys hearing it, but he's deceiving himself. He's wanting to pay attention to some other way. This idea of deceiving himself is, is mentioned several times in, in this whole section in chapter one. Uh, he encourages us not to deceive ourselves because in our circumstances, we have a tendency to believe the circumstances are more important than the God behind the circumstances. And we have a tendency in our circumstances, particularly when they're bad, that we begin to question one of the primary things that we question is the goodness of God. And as we question the goodness of God, we might think, well, is God causing this suffering to happen? Is God really good if he's allowing this kind of stuff to happen in my life? And that's where James in 1.16, he says, don't, don't be deceived. Everything good that, that comes to you comes down from God, who is the father of lights, intending to, to say that God is the one who is good and anything good that comes to you, it is from him. So do not be deceived. And he revisits this idea here, basically helping us to understand that if you're a hearer only, then you're deceiving yourself about the truth. 
You're rationalizing and reasoning from some different measuring stick, not according to the word of God. And see, this is the way James would explain in James 1.14. This is how we are lured and enticed by our own desires, is we hear the word, but it takes no effect in our heart. We don't receive it, as James would tell us in James 1.22, setting aside filthiness and all that remains of wickedness to receive the implanted word. We don't receive the word, we just, we just hear the word. And when we hear the word, our passions and our desires, which are self-seeking and self-serving and self-satisfying, we become lured and enticed by our own desires, not proving the word to be true, but proving our own way. What's the danger in that? You do this all the time. We do this all the time where we, we want to measure ourselves against something other than the word because, because we know what the word will reveal about us. We know what the word will say is true about us. But when we're hearers only and we delude ourselves or we deceive ourselves, this is a sophisticated way of choosing the wrong way is we rationalize or justify the way that we see ourselves. Well, the reason I responded like that is because they did this. That's being a hearer only and not a doer of the word. Now, why is this important? There are several reasons that I want to walk you through. But first, I want us to consider Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. Isaiah 46 through 8, this is what he says. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word, of the, God, uh, the word of God will stand forever. Now, why do I bring up that passage here? Because essentially what's happening when we are hearers only is we are choosing the way of our flesh. We're choosing the way of the natural world. We're choosing to see the way our culture sees. We're choosing to respond to life and our experiences the way that our culture would call us to respond to life. And what's the danger? The danger is that there's only one thing that will stand forever. In fact, the Bible even says that your flesh will pass away and all the desires that you have with it. But yet, in being a hearer, you're trusting in that desire. You're trusting in what the world says to be true about you rather than what God says to be true about you. But think of how foolish that response is. Why? Well, because all those things will pass away. It's only the word of our God that will stand forever. Don't you want to, to be judged truly, judged rightly by the only thing that will stand for all time? You see, the way we live our life needs to be constantly before the face of God. That we measure ourselves, even as difficult as that might be, to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, paying attention to what God says because that's the word that will stand forever. Now, when you think about hearers, hearers are a lot like doers. They, they look like doers, but they don't do. They just hear. Look at what the passage says in, in James 1.22, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves or who deceive themselves. And he says in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is sort of what he does. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. So, so he wants to hear, he has intention to hear, 
right? He comes every Sunday and he, he makes it a point to, to be in the service, to, to hear what the word says. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Maybe he, he grew up this way and so he, he feels sort of compelled that he needs to be in service. Or maybe it's some sort of like rabbit's foot or good luck charm that he comes and sits and hears the word. And, but he's a hearer only. He's trying to get rid of guilt just simply by hearing the word. He's trying to gain knowledge. Maybe the knowledge of God is intriguing to him. Maybe to think about how to use the knowledge of God and to to build up himself. Maybe to, to make argument to those who are speaking against God. He's building himself up in knowledge. You see, the hearers, they appreciate the message. They even love the knowledge of God. But what happens is the knowledge is not for transformation. The knowledge is to build themselves up. And the New Testament warns us that as knowledge puffs up, that we are destroyed even by that knowledge. And what happens? This is a knowledge that is without substance. This is a knowledge that that has no response to it. It's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And when we live in a culture now, did, did you realize that young people today have no need for older people? It's the first time in, a, in, in the history of the world that older people were not necessary for knowledge. They can do what I call the Google reflex and they just type in anything they want and they can be built up with all sorts of knowledge, even things that old people don't know nor care about, but they don't know, okay? And so in that knowledge, what's happening is they're, they're being puffed up by knowledge, but they have no substance. They don't know what to do with the knowledge. They don't know how to respond with that knowledge. It's knowledge without substance. He's a hearer only. He loves knowledge for the sake of knowledge, not loving knowledge for the giver of knowledge, not seeking God, seeking God for his wisdom, not seeking God for God. And this is sort of like, if you've ever been at a meal with, well, we can call them friends at this point. If you've ever been at a meal with with someone and let's say you have a piece of food in in your teeth, it's embarrassing. Right? Would you agree? It's like, I'm that guy. So let me just tell you, if you're ever out to dinner with me and I have food in my teeth, which will happen, okay, is just go ahead and be a nice guy. Be a friend and say, hey, Dale, you got, got something in your teeth. I'll love you for it because I want to know the truth. But, but it's sort of like somebody telling you that and you have the knowledge that this is, this is in your teeth, but you, you just forget about it. You sort of walk away from that. That's knowledge. You have the knowledge to do something about it, but it's knowledge without what? Substance. The question then is, what's the purpose of the mirror? If we don't use the mirror to respond rightly and truly to what we see. And you say, man, I just don't know. I don't, I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. Listen, you'll see weakness. You'll see wickedness. But you'll also see a savior. When you peer long into the perfect law of liberty, yes, things will be revealed about you that you wish nobody ever knew. Yes, things will be revealed about you that you are weaker than you could ever imagine. But when you look long into the perfect law, you see a savior that covers your weakness. You see a savior that covers your sin. What's the danger? Right here, he's looking at this perfect law, or he's looking at this law, he's looking into the mirror, and he sees the type of person that he is, but, but what's the issue? Uh, the issue, go on to verse 24, he says, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person that he was. He's immediately forgotten what type of person that he was. You see, here he goes into the warning. 
He's telling us when we look into this mirror and we see the type of person that we are, we truly see. We, we see what's going on, but, but we forget. We walk away. There are ways that we forget. There are reasons why we forget. You don't want to remember the type of person that you really are, right? Think if all you did was read Romans 3, 10 and following every day, and you never got to Romans chapter 4, 15 and following, or 5, 1 to hear about the beauty of uh, your faith in Christ that brings you to peace with God. If all you read was Romans 3, 10, that, uh, that you don't know God, you don't understand God, it leaves you exposed, right? Nobody likes to feel like that. But the beauty of seeing ourselves for who we really are is God doesn't leave us in a place like that. You try different things to remember. Well, this is one of the calls here is, is that what we hear from the word is we need to learn to remember. This was a call of uh, God when he gave his commandments to the children of Israel before they were walking into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and following. He gives them the command, the, the, the laws of God for a second time right before they're going into the promised land. And then over and over again, he repeats in Deuteronomy at the end of 6 and into 7, 8, and 9. He tells them, remember, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why did he tell them that? Because if they forget the commandments of God, they cannot live in the promises of God. Why do, you, why do we forget? We have all sorts of devices today that help us to remember. There are ways that we try to remember by setting uh, reminders on our phone and all sorts of things. We have people who help us to, to remember certain things. I can remember before we had all those devices. One of the ways that, that my wife, who was then, we were dating. I don't know when dating started. We, got, we met when we were 12. And, uh, and so when, whenever we were old enough to drive and we could date, and she would try to remember by crossing her fingers. And then when we got home, she would say, okay, uh, I crossed my fingers for a reason. What was I trying to remember? I don't know, babe. I'm not really sure, right? So she would try to remember by crossing her fingers. Or I would do this kind of thing. Do you guys remember when we had, um, we had devices at home, like answering machines? Do you remember that? And so I would call myself at home and say, Dale, um, don't forget to do this. We, we do all sorts of, because it's natural for us to forget. We walk away from the things of God and we, we, we forget. We, we start getting wrapped up in, in seeing ourselves in relation to, to something else. We measure ourselves in relation to the people that we work with or into the culture that we see or the, the television that's constantly telling us what people are like. And, and that's a faulty picture. We forget because, because of what we treasure. You see, when, when we see ourselves for who we really are, we begin to treasure Christ. And so we don't forget the things of Christ because we know we need it. And see, when we walk away, we forget. We forget what the word says because we begin to treasure other things. We begin to love other things. Why did he forget? Why did the hearer forget? It's the same reason that, that you do. Because he walked away swiftly, immediately he walks away. And so think about this. I mean, one of the reasons that, that you hear the word of God preached every week is so that you would savor the word. I mean, our, our pastors prepare sermons every week. They're trying to shepherd our hearts. They're calling us to see the things that they're seeing in the scriptures for the good of our hearts. And then we get up and we, we go to lunch and we forget the things that we've just heard. We, we don't attend care group and talk about the things of the word. And so we forget. We jump into Mondays and Mondays uh, don't usually start slow if you're like me. And so you forget the word. And you forget the type of person that you are. You forget the God that you serve. And you don't respond appropriately to that reality. You start building a reality all your own. And we forget. We, we immediately 
get up and we forget the type of man that we are. We don't stay before the face of God. Another reason is, become, is because we become distracted. We become distracted. It's like our children. Uh, when they're told to do chores, we, we speak. They know to the, that they're supposed to obey. They do not obey immediately, and so what happens? They get distracted. They had every intention of doing this chore. I don't know if your kids are like that, but my kids are like that because they're real human beings. And we ask them to do something, and they don't do it immediately. And if they don't do it immediately, guess what happens? Between wherever it was that we told them, like the physical location, and wherever they were supposed to go to get that chore done, there's something along the way that became intriguing. And their mind gets distracted. And listen, they had every intention of doing the chore. Just some, something happened along the way and something became delightful to the eyes. Something became more of a passion and more treasured and more necessary to do than the chore itself. And they forget, you forget much the same way. When, when the Lord is speaking here, we often forget because we don't respond immediately. We don't respond in repentance. We don't respond in obedience, for example. We become distracted. It's sort of like if you've ever been to a carnival. You guys have been to a carnival before. And you go into the, the, the place where there are fun mirrors. Maybe they don't have those anymore. I'm not sure. But you, you go to those places and some of them are fun. You walk in and you, you giggle and you laugh because you see a semblance of yourself, but you don't see the exact representation of you. Some, uh, you're a little bit taller than you normally would be. I appreciate those kinds of mirrors. And some, you're a little bit shorter and a little bit chunkier. Some are skinny and you're like, yes, I like that one. And especially during the fall when we're eating a lot, right? We, we don't see the true type of person that we really are. It's a semblance of ourself, but we're not responding to the true person. We get distracted by what we see. We get distracted by what the world says that we are. And sometimes we forget because we love our sin. Sometimes we forget because we know that if, if God calls us to do this, then I can't enjoy that anymore because we love our sin. That's why we forget. Some of, us, some of us forget because we don't want to see ourselves. Some of us know what's, what's in here. Some of us know the desires that you have. Some of us know the, the thoughts that you have that you don't want anybody else to know. And in fact, you don't even want to know those to be true about you. And so we, we walk away from the word because we don't want to deal with those. You see, this is the type of people that the Scripture talks about where Jesus says in the New Testament, and it's also talked about in the Old Testament, that you have ears but don't hear. You have eyes but you don't see. And you will begin worshiping something, but it will be a creation of your own making and not the one true God. This is why we forget. Now, what are the dangers? What are the dangers of forgetting? I think there are many dangers here. He, he warns us here about the, uh, you know, he's giving us an impassioned warning about uh, us forgetting. And why does that matter so much? He says, uh, or I, I think I would describe it this way, forgetting the word leads to self-deception. We see that in James 1.22. Forgetting the word leads to self-deception. Forgetting the word also leads to self-flattery. That when we forget the word, we become enamored with ourselves by the things that we pursue around us, not thinking ourselves to be too terrible. We begin to compare ourselves to someone else. And listen, there's always somebody who's a little bit worse than you are. And so you compare yourself to them and you begin to be flattered by the person that you are. And you're not so bad and this is all great and wonderful. Forgetting leads to self-flattery. 
Forgetting also leads to the hardness of your heart. Forgetting leads to the hardness of your heart. Forgetting also leads to an increased sin and bondage. Now I find that interesting because uh, here in the passage he tells us to look long in the perfect law of liberty. So the equal and opposite response happens when we walk away from the word and we forget the type of person that we are. We continue to pursue sin and we find ourselves more and more and more in bondage. But maybe most of all, forgetting leads to self-delusion, which leads then to self-destruction. See, this is the warning here. This is why you say, what's the big deal about forgetting? The warning here about forgetting is because it leads to self-deception, which then leads to your self-destruction. Because that's the path of sin every single time. And when we're deceived, we think, well, I don't want to hear that. You don't tell me that, Pastor Rick. Don't, don't say anything about things like that. Why do we not want to hear that? It's because we're self-deceived. And we think, if he says something like that, which is true from the word, that's offensive to me. We don't want to hear that kind of stuff. Why? Because we're deceived. And we think, he's not telling me that out of love. Do you see the beauty of the warning here? Do you see the call of the warning here? He's saying... Don't love those things, peer long into the word. Why? So that you don't forget. Why? Because if you forget, you will be deluded in your mind. You'll begin to pursue things that are not God-honoring, that you were not made for, and it will lead to your self-destruction. This is the same thing that Jesus says at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. 7, 24 through 27, he concludes that whole sermon by saying this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, similar word, to do them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Now do you see the love behind the warning? It's because it's a call to you that when you forget the word, you're pursuing not just self-deception, but in your self-deception, you pursue your own destruction. Friends, can you please hear what I'm trying to say? That simply because you walk away and forget the word does not mean the word is any less true about you. You see, that word remains true whether you remember it or not. Why? Because Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. So that's the hearer. Now we contrast to understand a little bit about the doer of the word the doer of the word. And let me just say, if you find yourself being a hearer, don't delay. Don't delay. You find yourself longing for the word. Pursue the word. Ask somebody to help you to build a passion for the word, to foster a heart that helps you to understand the word. Don't constantly deceive yourself and walk away from the things of God. Now he contrasts in verse 25 and he says, but... Now he's returning back to what he's called us to do. He's exhorting us to do, to prove yourselves to be doers of the word. The warning is to stay away from this, now pursue this. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So this is the idea is that we, we turn our heart now to, to being doers. And, and doers are hearers too, but they're not only hearers. Doer, doers do not always know the way, which means in life, as you live life, you don't always know the exact way to go. Right, Life brings up all kinds of challenges. So being a doer doesn't necessarily mean that you always know what to do. But being a doer, you recognize when you don't know what to do and you're like the man in James 1.5 who begs for wisdom because you recognize that you lack wisdom. And so you look to God for wisdom and you don't just glance at the word. You look long into the word because you know without the word, he has things that you need Deeply. Now, now notice something about this doer. It's very different than the, the, the hearer. The hearer looked, right? So the doer looked. But, but the hearer looked, and he, as he looked, he walked away quickly, forgetting the type of person that he was. This is different here in verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it. That word actually means to persevere in it. It's very similar, not the exact same word to the word in verse 12. The one who remains steadfast, the one who sticks with the promises of God through this issue that they're struggling with. This is, this is the man who will be a doer of the word. Not only does he hear, but he looks. Not only does he look, but he looks long. He perseveres in the word. And, and what's accomplished? As he looks into the perfect law of liberty, he finds himself freed. Freed from what? Freed from worry, freed from fear, free from anxiety, because he knows the ways in which God will judge him, and he has no reason to fear that any longer because he is at peace with God because of our faith, Romans 5.1 in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he looking for? What is he looking for when he's looking into this word? One of the things he's looking for is he's looking for who you really are. If you're a doer of the word, you, you're intent on knowing, God, what type of person am I really? Who am I truly? Charles Spurgeon said it like this, the word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart, his inmost self. The scripture gives truthful reflection of man's nature. It lets the man see himself, not as others see him, for others make mistakes, nor as he would see himself, for he is very apt to be partial to his own soul. But the scripture makes him see himself as God sees him. You see, this law uh, brings us to liberty because now we see ourselves for who we really are. And we are free in our hearts to be unburdened from the fear, worry, anxiety, and the trembling that we see in an uncertain world. You say, why? Because the way that you see now is the way Elisha saw the situation in 2 Kings. Not just with natural eyes to see that there was an army who was opposing, but now with the eyes of the Lord that yes, something was opposing, someone was opposing them, but never forgetting the God who fights for them. See, this is the one who does because he looks intently at the perfect law and he perseveres to see what type of person that he is. And this helps us not to be a forgetful hearer of the word, but to be a doer. We remember certain things. What is it that we remember? The scripture, I think, helps us to understand here. We remember our own state. I want to ask you a question. Are you on good terms with yourself? 
One of the interesting things that I think happened in the life of the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul, when he came to faith in Christ, he, he, he first says, I am the, 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 least, or the chief of, uh, the least of all the apostles, is how he described himself. As he grew in the grace and knowledge of Christ over his years of ministry, he described himself in a different way. And most of us would think, particularly in an American individualized mentality, that he thought of himself progressively upward. But the reality is, is how did he see himself the more and more intently that he persevered in looking into the law of God? The Bible says he sees himself later in his life as the chief of all sinners. You see, that's the same way for us when we look long into the perfect law. Is you know, Often as you're growing in Christ, you don't see yourself as, as perfected. You don't see yourself as, as perfect. You see yourself as more undone and maybe more wicked than you could ever imagine. But that's what grows the, the treasure who is Christ in our heart is because we see the depth of who we are and it makes Christ all the more glorious that he forgives us for even that. If you're okay with who you are, if you're on good terms with yourself, then I would venture to say that maybe you've not looked long into the perfect law of liberty. You see, when you look until you give good assessment to you, well, that's a scary thing. The scripture doesn't offer to flatter you. It gives honest assessment of your heart, your motives, your desires, your deeds. Not seeing the simplicity of the outer man and the blemishes that we might see in the outer man, but we see the inner man. This is the same way Paul did in Romans 6 and 7. These are the descriptions of Paul in Romans 6 and 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, in me and my flesh, there's no good thing. And I'll remind you when Paul wrote this, he was a well-saved man, more toward the latter parts of his years of ministry. He went on to say something that you probably wrestle with similarly. He does the things that he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things that he, that he wants to do. See, that's what the perfect law of liberty helps you to see. And, and it's okay. You don't have to fear seeing those things. Why? Because this is what brought about the great declaration of Paul in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What else do we remember? We don't just remember who we really are, and that's a healthy thing for you, but we also remember our Savior. This is what brought Paul to say in Romans 8.1, that there's no condemnation. As much as I'm reminded about who I am, I'm one who's in Christ, and there is found no condemnation. We can hardly remain the same when the Spirit of God helps us to see ourselves. You see, what happens is then the Bible says that 2 Corinthians 5.14, that it's the love of Christ, when we see the depth of the love of Christ for us, that it compels us or controls us. It motivates us now to respond in a way that's freeing and pleasing to the Lord. Because the very next verse tells us that he died so that we no longer have to live for ourself that we are free, compelled by the love of Christ. Yes, seeing who we are, but now we walk in Christ. We are compelled by his love to do what? To be free, to not live in the bondage of our own sin, but to live in a way that's pleasing to him. You see, the intent of hearing is to heed. The intent of your hearing is to heed what God says. What's our aim? The aim of this whole thing is sanctification. That's what he's aiming at, that you not just become a hearer of the word, but become a doer so that your faith is proven, that you truly believe in God and you respond by, by doing. 
How does this work? As you're peering into the perfect law, you're seeing God for who God is. You're constantly living before the face of God. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That as we behold the glory of God, that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And notice this happens in progression. This is the same idea in James 1.22, that this is a constant ongoing thing, that we are becoming doers. And as we behold the face of God, we are transformed into the glory of God, which is the idea we are, it is God's will that we be sanctified. Here's one of the most important things that I think you need to understand and why you should not fear to look long and to persevere in the word. Because you need to remain long enough to see yourself, but you need to remain even further still long enough that you begin to see your reflection reflect the glory and the character of God in the way in which you are changed from who you used to be, but by the power of Christ and the commands of his word that you respond in a way that is pleasing to him. Why? Because when you behold Christ for who he is, you cannot stay the same. I want to finish with the final call in this passage, verse 25. He says, as a result, this man will be blessed in what he does. I've entitled this message, Doers Are Blessed in the Doing, or Blessing in the Doing. I want to make a contrast here because I think it's important that you understand that as you behold the law of God as a mirror, it's not only a mirror, the Bible says that it is also a sword. And yes, the sword, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, active, sharpened in any two-edged sword. It will, it will cut you deeply. And sometimes we're afraid to look long into the perfect law of liberty because we're afraid that it's going to hurt. Can I encourage you that it's going to hurt? But not only is the perfect law of liberty a mirror, and not only is it a sword, but the Bible says that it is a bomb. That Christ himself was foretold in Ezekiel 34, 16 and following, and it was said to be true in, in in Jesus' John 10, 10, that he would be the good shepherd. And what would he do? He would come to mend the brokenhearted. You see, when you long to look into the perfect law and the word cuts you deeply, that you, you remain because it is a bomb to heal your soul. And now how do you respond? Do you see how this works? It's not a, I do to get the blessing of God. It's not, he did not say here that you are blessed by doing. What did he say? You are blessed in doing. You say, Dale, why are you emphasizing that? Well, I think this is really an important transition here in conclusion that he says you are blessed in your doing because of the process that had to happen. That as you look long into the perfect law of liberty and you see the beauty of who you are, even in comparison to Christ, and as Christ begins to change you, as you behold the glory of God from one degree of glory to another, now you are convinced that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And you are empowered by his spirit then to respond, to respond rightly to what he's revealed. And you are empowered by the spirit and the commands of scripture to go and obey. And now you can obey freely. And there's a delight. This is why the song that was sung, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus could say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Why does he say take my yoke upon you? Because it's, it's light. Because you're, you're following and responding to who God has revealed himself 
to be, and you're now empowered to do that. So when you're, you're blessed, you're not blessed because you do, you're blessed in the doing because your heart is now convinced, resting solidly in the Christ who has been given to you as your Savior to redeem all that you are. What's the, what's the picture here? Don't get distracted by walking away from the mirror. Look intently. Look intently to where when you take the word home, maybe you use that, what the pastor preaches, and you, you use that for devotion. Some of you are not involved in care group. Can I encourage you? Be involved in care group where we, we, we sit and meditate and we chew on the word because we want to peer into it long because we know it has things to say about us and, and what we should be doing. There's a blessedness then found in our doing. Why? Because in the mirror, we stop seeing the reflection of ourselves, and we start seeing the reflection of Christ being made in us. I want to finish with maybe a few pastoral points of reflection. A few pastoral points of reflection on this passage. If you're someone who is merely flattered by the knowledge of the word, you do not see the fruit in doing. I urge you to slow down, slow life down. There's nothing that's more treasured than you being distracted by these other things. Slow life down and let the word take root in you. Tune your heart, as the song says, to hear the word of God. Tune your ear to listen to what he has to say. Another pastoral reflection is this. Act quickly upon the conviction of the word. Don't be distracted. Where, yes, God said to do this, or God revealed this about me, and and you feel like you should repent and come to him. Don't delay. Because in the delaying, you have every intention of obeying. But along the journey to get there, you'll get distracted by something else. And the word will not take root in you. Act quickly upon the conviction that the Lord gives you. Discipline yourself to act often on what the word of God says. There are times in my life where I have to revisit things like 1 Thessalonians 5 which are basics of the Christian life. Don't repay people evil for evil. Rejoice in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing because I find myself not doing that. Discipline yourself to go back to the word, to to hear and obey. And then the final thing, I'll give you some closing thoughts from Calvin. Look long into the perfect law. It's not a one-time activity. Listen to what he says. To begin by rooting up noxious weeds, yea, since he addresses the faithful, he shows that we are never wholly cleansed from them in this life, but we are continually sprouting up, and therefore he requires that care should be constantly taken to eradicate them. You need the word daily. You need not just the word to peer at it, to glance at it. You need to long to look into the word because it will tell you the type of person that you are. And it'll help you to see the Christ that you are supposed to behold, that you are transformed from your image to his. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would um, begin to see differently by the doing. And Lord, that we would long to look into your perfect law to obey quickly. Help us, Father, not to be timid about what you will reveal, but to be hopeful that even despite what we see in ourselves, that you will change us and make us new. God, you're so good in that. And Lord, what makes this wonderful is that it's satisfaction to our souls that we can walk faithful with you. So God, strengthen us, we pray by your word. In Christ's name, amen.